So good morning, saints, and welcome to Awaken Church. And I'm excited and I'm honored by the opportunity to be able to share with you all this morning during our summer of knowing Jesus. And our goal this summer as a church has been to prioritize knowing over doing for Jesus. And specifically, we've been focusing on different scriptures that highlight a specific aspect of Jesus' life, the things that burdened his heart and his ministry. And today's teaching is going to be no different, except it's going to carry with it a small warning that the verses we're going to highlight today aren't necessarily going to be comfortable or easy to talk about. There are some words that are spoken by Jesus that tend to be particularly messy and even a bit provocative, which shouldn't surprise us since our series in this month is going to be going through provocative words of Jesus. So just want to give that warning, to give that little caveat, and to also, for those of you who are with us for the first time or who haven't been with us for a while, this is also what we call an awakened Q&A series. And what that means, especially for this topic this morning, it means that if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts about what has been shared this morning, I want you to go ahead and text those questions and comments to awakenQ&A at gmail.com. And after our teaching, we're going to take a few moments to address them. And the passages that we're going to be going through specifically this morning should bring about some good questions, some good thoughts, and maybe even some disagreement. And that's okay, because that's what our Q&A time is for. So with that quick and fun introduction out of the way, I want to introduce you to the verses that we're going to be talking about this morning, found in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are the verses that we're going to be spending some time parked at this morning. And for those of you who might not be as familiar with these passages, let me share a couple of reasons why these verses are quite provocative. First, there is a clear implication that someday on the day of judgment, there are going to be people who approach God, confident that they're going to be with Jesus in heaven, and Jesus is going to send them away and say, I never knew you. Did you catch that? People who were confident, maybe even sure that they were going to get into the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is going to turn them away at the gate and say, I never knew you. That's one interesting implication of this passage. The second is, in case you missed it as well, the verses that are shared here are directed predominantly at Christians, right? These verses aren't talking about Muslims or Buddhists or agnostics or atheists. They are directed towards the ones who call Jesus Lord. And that tends to be the Christians, the churchgoers. We're the ones who call Jesus by his proper title. And then finally, these verses are not only targeting so-called Christians who believe that they're going to heaven, but in addition to that, some of them have done amazing 
things in the name of God, like performing miracles, they've prophesied, they've cast out demons, they've done wondrous things. And I don't know about you, but I've never done any of those things that are described there. But I would think if I did, that these types of miracles would be proof that God is with me. And Jesus clearly says here, no, they really are not. So some questions. Who are these so-called Christians who are going to be turned away when facing Jesus? Second, how do we know that they don't include us? Or how do I know that doesn't include me? And finally, what does this have to do with our summer theme of knowing Jesus? Those are some really good questions, and they're going to be what we run through in the remainder of our time. But before we do that, before we can really tackle and understand these passages, we're going to take a step back and read through what we call some context verses. In other words, when you're reading the Bible and you come over across a passage that seems confusing and something that you don't understand, the best place to start in understanding what it means is to read through the verses and understand the verses before it and the verses after it. Does that make sense? So that is the best way to begin. Before we go to commentaries or what other people's thoughts are, that's where we start with the verses before and ideally afterwards. And so that's where we're going to dive in. And so we're going to go through some verses prior to this passage in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 13. Jesus shares, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. It's interesting, the world we live in today likes to share that there are many different paths to God. There are a number of different roads to get to the same place. But for those of us who read the Bible honestly, we know that that is simply not true. In the book of John, Jesus clearly declares that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty specific, and that's pretty exclusive. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the gate, and if you want to pass through the gate, then you must put your faith in Jesus. There's no other way, and Paul shares what this means to put your faith in in Jesus in the book of Romans, start, uh, chapter 10, when he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So this is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God and receive the hope of heaven. This is the Christian story, and it has always been the Christian story. The world calls this story and this truth exclusive and intolerant, and I actually don't disagree. I simply say what the world has conveniently forgotten is that truth is always exclusive and intolerant. So an example, uh, if you take water, everybody knows water, the formula for water is what? H2O, two parts hydrogen, 
one part oxygen. Everybody here knows that, but nobody calls that truth exclusive or intolerant. Nobody complains that carbon and nitrogen are getting shortchanged and that they should have a part in being part of this incredibly vital substance, right? We simply accept that H2O is the only combination of elements that produce water, and we don't call that unfair or unjust to all the other elements that exist. That's just a silly example, but I hope it illustrates my point. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. If we're claiming something to be true, then we're also, by default, saying everything else that says something different is untrue. That's exclusive. That's the nature of truth. You cannot have truth unless it is exclusive. And when it comes to being a part of God's kingdom, who gets to decide what is true and what is not? It's simple. It is God. It is his kingdom. He is the king, and he is the only one who has the rights to define the rules of who gets to get into his kingdom and who does not. And what God says is the entryway into the kingdom is narrow. It might seem difficult to get to. Jesus is the narrow gate, and faith in Jesus is the only way through the gate into God's kingdom. That's what these passages are sharing. It continues, the next verse, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. So in light of that truth that I just shared with you, I want to give you a warning. Who should you watch out for? You should watch out for false prophets, for people who are coming claiming to teach truth, but are in actuality telling you a lie, and they're deceiving you. And so from God's perspective, when the world teaches you a truth, quote unquote, that's different from the truth God teaches, you're put in a position where you must make a choice. Who am I going to believe? And am I going to believe God? Am I going to believe in the world? How am I going to decide who is right? And what God says here is, you can identify who a wolf is from a sheep by the way they act, by the fruit of their lives. He continues in the next verse, verse 17, a good tree produces good fruit. That's logical. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. Here's the interesting part. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Look at the fruit. Always look at the fruit. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. Good fruit comes from good trees. That is also another truth. In other words, that's the way God has designed things to work. So if you look from the outside, there are times when you can look on the outside and see a large blossoming tree that seems really healthy, but when you look at the fruit, it's, it's bitter, it's moldy, it's brownish, and it, doesn't, it isn't fresh. And when you see the fruit coming from a seemingly healthy tree, what do we conclude? We obviously know that no matter what we see, there's something wrong with that tree. On the other hand, if we see some spindly-looking tree, it looks kind of sickly, but when you look at the fruit, the fruit is ripe, it's healthy, it's delicious, it's sweet, then we know that no matter how this tree looks, it is a healthy tree because it's bearing 
healthy fruit. That is a truth that's, that's intuitive, it's logical, we all understand that, and what God simply does is say that truth you find in nature is found in people as well. And the reason why he's sharing this is he's saying that when you listen to a message, when you listen to someone who's claiming to bear truth, always check out the messenger first. Is the messenger trustworthy and reliable? And you can tell that by the fruit of their lives. And if they're not, then don't listen to the message. And it's in the aftermath of these passages that we finally arrive at the key passages for the day. I'll go through them again. Not everyone. So in light of these verses, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, pulling it all together, Jesus has just taught that the way into the kingdom is narrow. And he also shares right after that that there are false prophets who are going to lie to you and tell you there are a number of different roads to the kingdom. There are a number of different ways you can get there, that the road isn't all that challenging, it isn't all that hard, and Jesus tells you don't listen to them. How will you tell who is false and who is true? It's simple. You look at their lives. And in the midst of all these confusing messages, right, this is what Jesus is saying, is look for the reliable, trustworthy, tested messenger. And Jesus says that I am that messenger. What I'm going to say to you is true. Not everyone who thinks they're going to heaven is going to be in heaven someday. And the key The key to knowing who will and who will not is not on the basis of the miracles they perform or these magnificent things they do, miracle working, prophecy, mighty works, casting out demons. Those are not the things you should look for to determine whether or not someone is going to go to heaven or not. Instead, look for the one who is doing the will of the Father. So we're going to come back to our original questions, right? So who are these so-called Christians, quote-unquote, who are going to be turned away on that day? How do we know if that includes us or includes me? And finally, what does this have to do with our summer theme of knowing Jesus? I'm going to share this. The answer to these three questions, ironically, believe it or not, is the exact same answer. And the answer Jesus gives us in this passage when he says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the answer for all of these questions is the same. I never knew you, right? The key is knowing. So we're going to apply that answer to the different questions we've shared today. So we'll start with the first one. Who are these so-called Christians who are going to be turned away when they someday face Jesus on that day of judgment? Well, the ones who are going to be turned away, it's really simple. They're the ones who never truly knew Jesus. They knew about him. They've probably gone to church a number of times and studied him. They've listened to teachings about him, and maybe their parents knew Jesus, and their brothers and their cousins, they honestly knew Jesus, but this person did not. These so-called Christians did not. They were in the right environment. They just never took that step of faith. And, and you can't, and how do you, you can't fake knowing. 
right? Knowing is the product of relationship. Knowing is not the result of a one-time, half-hearted decision that we make that we never think about again. That's just not how that works. Understanding facts about a person does not equate to knowing. So for me, one of my heroes is Billy Graham. Uh, I was saddened when he passed away. Was it last year or earlier this year? But uh, I love Billy Graham. I, I read his biography and I read his autobiography. I volunteered at one of his crusades. I've listened to his sermons. I even watched an interview of him by Barbara Walters. He is one of the men I admire most in this world. But my reading his book, even reading the book that he wrote about himself, his autobiography, studying him, listening to his sermons, doesn't mean I really knew Billy Graham, right? I know he passed away a couple years ago, or I'm sorry, I know he passed away earlier this year or last year, but if I were to two years ago have run into Billy Graham in a hallway, he would not have recognized me. Does that make sense? He would not know that I've read his book, I've listened to his sermons, I've, I've seen a TV show with him on it. We didn't know each other. All that reading, all that listening, all that studying, and Billy still never knew me. In the same way, there are a number of Christians today, so-called Christians, who go to church, who read about Jesus, listen to sermons about Jesus, learn things about Jesus, but have no real relationship with him. And these are the ones that Jesus says are going to be turned away at the gate because they never knew. They were never known. Second question, how do I know if that includes me? How am I supposed to know if I'm one of those? Because I don't want to wait until that moment I'm standing at the gate, standing in front of Jesus to be turned away or to be accepted. I'd like to know a bit before that moment comes, right? This past week, our uh, family spent most of it at uh, Link in Orlando. For those of you who don't know what Link is, is it's a uh, summer program designed for college students to be able to experience what it is to live the Great Commission life. And so they spend 10 weeks uh, at a specific location. In this case, it was Orlando. And uh, while in Orlando, they have to get jobs, uh, full-time jobs. And then in the midst of working full-time jobs, every evening is, except for one, is taken up with different activities, different studies, different outreaches. They're out in the gospel multiple times a week. And so this past week, our family joined them. And during our time with them, the five of us, my wife and I and our three daughters, our son was there too, but there's the five of us who went there. Uh, we had the chance to be out in the gospel along with these saints. And just in our family alone, we initiated over 100 conversations and shared the gospel over a dozen times. Talia was a part of seeing someone come to Christ. Danielle was a part of seeing someone come to Christ. My wife had the opportunity to share the gospel and, and see five young ladies come to Christ. That was a fruitful work of ministry, a fruitful week of ministry. Here's the thing. When we talk about this idea of receiving the gift of salvation... Here's what we as Christians understand, or what I hope we understand, right? It means you must exercise what's called believing faith. And believing faith is not the same thing as what we call intellectual assent. So you will understand the difference, correct? Intellectual assent is simply agreeing that something is true. So an example of intellectual assent is, yeah, I think marriage generally is a good thing for society, Believing faith is commitment. 
Believing faith is, I'm getting married to the woman I love. Does you understand the difference? It's one thing to say, theoretically, yes, I think marriage is a great thing. It's another thing entirely to actually get married. That's the distinction between intellectual assent and believing faith. And in Christianity, believing faith starts with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And from there, what we understand is what Jesus has done with his death, burial, and resurrection. He has torn apart that very thing that separates us from God, sin. And he is offering this gift. He's offering his life to you and saying, if you believe in the work that I have done, then I will separate, I will, I will forgive you of your sins, cleanse you, and your relationship with God will be restored. That is the fruit of exercising believing faith and accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Then God does his part. He forgives us. He cleanses us. And then he deposits his Holy Spirit in us so forever. Uh, one friend of mine calls that, that giving of God's Holy Spirit to us as God's soul being united with mine. And I thought that was a beautiful way of being able to describe what that looks like. And so this relationship is forged between us and God that will never be broken. A relationship God initiated, right, we responded to, and now needs to be cultivated in order to grow. That is what salvation looks like. And what Jesus says is that believing faith is what needs to happen for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So let's come back to the original question. How do I know if my relationship with God is real? And I wish I had a better answer for you, but my best answer is going to be that it might sound really simple. You should just know if you do or don't, right? How do you know your relationship with God is real? You just do. So I'll go back to my earlier example, Billy Graham. Uh, so I read about Billy Graham. I studied, I listened to his sermons. I loved, I, you know, watched the Barbara Walter special. Who does something like that about Billy Graham? And, but I never for once actually thought I knew Billy Graham and he knew me. Does that make sense? All the study in the world, but I knew we didn't have a relationship. By the other token, I haven't read or studied you guys in that much depth, right? I haven't snuck into your house, put on video cameras, and studied your lives. That would be very, very creepy. But I do have a relationship with most of you in this room. We have our ups and downs. Sometimes you like me. Sometimes you don't like me as much. You know, that's just our every relationship waxes and wanes and have good times and bad times. But the fact doesn't change. What doesn't change is the fact that we have a relationship with one another. We know that it's there. And however it might look in a given moment, that doesn't change the fact that we have relationships. Does that make sense? We just know. And so if you're asking this question of, hey, do I have a genuine relationship with God? My response is, I hope you know. And if you don't, then it might be appropriate for you to take this warning from Jesus seriously. Final question. What does this passage have to do with our summer theme of knowing Jesus? So knowing Jesus that is our goal for this summer. Knowing Jesus and allowing that knowing to drive our doing. The primary reason for Jesus coming to earth right, was to restore a broken relationship between us and God by removing the sin that separates us. Again, the sin is what divided us from God. And this is what he did with his death his burial, and his resurrection. But we have a part to play in the story. We have to believe in the work of God. Believing is the gateway to knowing Christ. And knowing Christ is the way into 
God's kingdom. And so the reason why I'm sharing all this and revisiting all this again is I don't want you to miss this, and I don't want us to make it more complicated than it is, because sometimes we do that as Christians. We start talking about works and doctrines and other religions and all that, and it just complicates the mess, and I don't think Jesus wants to make it complicated. The fact of the matter is if you want to get into God's kingdom, realize there's nothing to do with anything you do. It's all about who you know, right? It's not about what you do. It's all about who you know. If you know Jesus and he knows you, you're in. If he doesn't recognize you at the gate, then you're not getting in. So if it's easier for you to think about it this way, imagine Jesus is a bouncer at the door of the coolest club in town, right? Jesus is standing there at the door of this cool club, and if you walk up and you know him and he knows you, you're in. You get to party forever at the coolest club in town. Lifetime access. But If you walk up to the door and Jesus says, I have no idea who you are, then you're stuck on the outside. It doesn't matter how famous you are if you're Beyonce. It doesn't matter how rich and powerful you are if you're Jeff Bezos and run Amazon, right? None of that stuff matters. That currency doesn't matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. And there's no other way in. You can't bribe Jesus. He's not that type of bouncer, right? You can't sneak past him. Like, he's all muscle and super fast, right? There's no other way in. He either recognizes you and you get in, or he doesn't and you stay on the outside. The only thing that matters is whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. Knowing him is the key to being able to get into heaven. There's no other way, and that is what this passage has been sharing. So, With that said, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any thoughts, now's the time regarding what I've shared with you. Now's the time when I want you to go ahead and text them to awakenqna at gmail.com. That's been up on every slide, hopefully. And I'm looking forward to hearing them. I'm looking forward to tackling them. And uh, I'm curious and intrigued about what you guys might be thinking so far. And 